Hi, this is Kyle Crane, and I'm Ben's guest of Big Fat Five. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Kyle Jeffrey Crane, a drummer I've been following and looking up to for years now. He's a highly sought after independent drummer based in LA who's worked with Daniel Lenoir, look him up, Nico Case, Kurt Vile, Brad Meldow, Bill Frizzell, Connor Oberst, and is currently out with Madison Cunningham. He was also a drum double for the movie Whiplash and is the principal, everything, for his project Crane Like a Bird. We talk about all this and more before hopping into the five records that made him into the player he is today. Cheers. So like I said, I do want to play a few songs from your career. Just tell me where it takes you. And here is okay, cool. the first one. And dear God, I hope it's you. <laughs> I'm trying to judge your face if it's like dis <laughs> disgust of my lack of research or if it's good. No, I mean... <laughs> I haven't heard this in so long. Yeah. And I'm gone, gone, gone. Thoughts are precious. You wear them like a gaudy necklace. You know, but I'm a little on edge. And you know, some things are better left unsaid. Oh, I haven't heard that in forever. That was when I was at Berkeley. I was playing outside of school and classes on that. The main group that I played and toured with is called The Grown Up Noise. And uh, they've remained some of my best friends. And uh, But yeah, that was like the one kind of original group that I played with. You know, I was doing jazz casuals and wedding gigs and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's really old. That uh, I was at Berkeley, two thousand three to two thousand seven. Yeah, so, I think according to according to the internet, that came out in two thousand seven off the self titled record, "The Grown Up Noise." So yeah, it was cool. That I mean, 
listening to I haven't listened to that in a while, but they definitely let me took liberties with those drum parts, you know. They're fun, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Got some jellyfish weirdness going on. It was cool. So when when you graduated Berkeley, what did the next like what did you do the year after that? Uh I stayed in Boston for a year when I graduated. I had like three or four teaching gigs. Oh, okay. Like one right across from Berkeley and I was playing with that group, the grown up noise and playing jazz and stuff. And I was like, Oh, I, I don't know if I want to move. Cause I built all this stuff up over the last four years. Uh, at the time I thought I had like, it, it would have been silly to stay just cause of a couple teaching gigs, you know? Yeah. But I, um, I applied to USC during that year that I was there and got into the jazz masters program as a way to kind of go to LA and and have a community to land in mm-hmm. rather than just show up. No, it makes sense. You know? And uh yeah, so I, I spent that year to just play and teach and then practice all the stuff for the audition tape and the audition for USC, you know? Mm-hmm. Was that a one-year program, two-year program? Uh, it's a two-year program. I actually left after a year because I started touring, so I didn't finish the, the USC program. But I met a ton of people I still play with. I mean, there's amazing drummers there. and I mean, Lewis Cole was a sophomore when I got there. Um, Harry Mack, who's like best freestyle rapper in the world, Oh, was a freshman. He was a freshman drummer when I got there. Yeah, this is a good crew of people. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's move on to number two. And I know you're at least associated with this stuff. So here we go. Okay. So rad, dude. That's such a good record. Oh, thanks. That's funny. I literally just got off phone with uh, James, who's singing from The Shins, because... Mm-hmm. James Mercer. Yeah, we're going to record in June. He's like, my computer's messed up. Do you have an interface and a computer that's good? And I was like, dude, I'm running on House Cat Palm Desert or whatever the <laughs> oldest. He's like, I just updated my stuff and nothing works. I was like, that's yep. why I'm still running on... Yep palm desert but um yeah james i was always a shins fan and i wrote that song um and 
the, the James and he was down to sing on it. So stoked about that. Yeah, for those who don't know, that is the song Wishing Cap featuring James Mercer, like you said, uh, from your your project, Crane Like the Bird. Um, it's again, it's your it's your second record, but it's a self-titled record. The, the project has has you uh, on, the, on the instrumentation for the most part, I would assume, and then you have different people singing. How did you, like, how does that work? Do you write the lyrics and the melodies and then they are the execution or do they top line or is it different every single track? Uh, there's no top lining on anything. I just, uh, like, James just replaced the scratch vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is kind of my one project where I could get, get to do everything as far as the lyrics and the melody and rhythm of the melody because um being a sideman drummer i'm usually catering to everything else so i deliberately decided i would write everything for this um but i'll definitely delegate out parts to you know i might have like a midi guitar on my demo and then have like my friend Brian Green play guitar, things like that. I'll do most of the keyboards, piano, I do all the drums. If it's easy bass and guitar, I'll, I'll do it. But I'm not really a guitarist. So, um, but yeah, as far as the lyrics and melodies, those are all my mind. But it's, it's just way more exciting for me to hear James and these other singers singing it than if it was me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And a few of the other people, uh, Connor Oberst, uh, M. Ward, uh, Ben Bridwell, sorry, from Band of Horses. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, everyone go check it out. It's it's kind of a a super album. But uh, yeah, came out in 2019. And yeah, the the next thing I won't actually play it because it's it's a video, but I will put it in the show notes. I think the first performance of the first time I was aware of you uh, was a performance of you with uh, Daniel Lenoir and you were performing Mm -hmm. um, the song opera live it's kind of like an in-studio and in it you kind of describe how you're listening to it in real time and in the video there's the third guy in the room the engineers kind of like telling you what like where the dynamics are in the song it's really cool I'll put it in the show notes but um how did you meet how'd you meet Daniel because that that partnership you have with him is is really fun everything's different every time thanks um i met dan because i was playing at thirsty crow every sunday i still play there not it's not a weekly thing because i'm more touring these days but i'm playing there tonight actually Mm. but um dan was coming and he was uh just hanging out at the bar drinking whiskey and i had no idea who he was and he would sit like three feet from the bandstand and just listen very intently. And uh, Rocco DeLuca, who I play with, it's like, hey, my friend Dan wants to meet you and chatted with him a bit. And he said, hey, I'm working on some mixes at my place. If you want to come listen? And this is after, you know, I had met him. This was like just one night at Thirsty Crow. I got in my car and I followed him on his motorcycle to his house. And he had all these mixes with Brian Blade on them. Oh, wow and um on the tracks like following him on his harley up this winding cobblestone road he has this crazy house in silver lake you know yeah and those are crazy roads i had to like google him after (laughs) you know i was like brian oh and i realized he had 
worked on a ton of records that amazing records that I knew. And I just, I don't always, I can't put a face to musicians or producers all the time, but me neither. And then, um, like six months later, he just like texted me, do you have a passport? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then his manager contacted me and he's like, uh, Dan wants you to do tour and we went to Europe and it's been like eight years that I've been playing with him. So, yeah. Did you know right off the bat? I mean, obviously the, uh, you guys do a lot of improv and so was there like no rehearsals? He's just like, here we go playing tomorrow kind of thing. The very first time we played, he had come back from tour with Brian blade and, um, he's like, I'm still itching to play after this tour can can we is there some place we could play and i was like well we could play at thirsty crow um he's like all right so uh me dan and jim wilson who's uh sings and plays bass we played at thirsty crow that was my first show with them and then later jim was like yeah i think that was kind of your audition i don't know if you knew that but <laughs> but I, I asked didn't. i was like yeah, I was like, what do I, what do you want to play? And he goes, just wing it. And but we played like his whole catalog. So mm. when he said wing it, I thought we were just gonna improvise chord changes and things like that. But I was winging it on actual songs. Yeah. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure how it was super fun. I'm not sure how um I mean they're intuitive songs, but it must have been interesting from an audience perspective that I actually didn't really know any of the songs. I think we played for like three hours straight. Yeah. So it's like, I love this drummer's take. Obviously he knows the song and he's doing something totally different when you're like, I have no fucking clue. Dude. Never. Yeah. I think I had heard the maker passing once that's, that's it. But he didn't want me to play anything like the recordings either. So, and I've heard you say in previous interviews or in a interview that, you know, one night you during soundcheck, you just played a reggae beat for fun. He's like, oh, that's the entire set now. Let's just play the whole song yeah. as a reggae band. So that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was in like Switzerland just to add to the, the funniness of it. <laughs> like, these people want to hear some one drops. Exactly. <laughs> hey, y'all. I wanted to... <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by 5.5 snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud. And it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode. Is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. 
and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredom.com. Just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five, I want you to get back to the show. But go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it, and I regretted it ever since then, just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time. And I just kept thinking about it. And so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, check it out, reach out to me, go to Vessel Drum Co. The Instagram's just at Vessel Drum Co and check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye. Um, before we get your top five, I do want to talk about this. So you know, if you talk to any non-drummer and you mention you're a drummer half the time, they're like, oh, have you seen Whiplash? It's kind of like you have oh, yeah. to talk about it. So um, you were a drum double in in Whiplash. So can you just talk a little bit about that experience, how you got it, like everything about that? Yeah, that was, um, I had gotten a email about it from one of the producers and they got my number from a jazz guitarist that I was playing with at the time that was associated with them from NYU. And they said, they sent me the script and they're like, do you want to audition for this? And I read it and I thought it was really cool when I read it. I had my own kind of tone in my head when I read the script, I was kind of thinking about my own experience at Berkeley and totally some crazy teachers and things <laughs> yeah and uh and then it's like yeah i'd be happy to audition and i actually invited them to the producers the thirsty crow mm. as sort of you know thought that'd be they wanted to see me play so and then i called two of my friends who were really good at like up-tempo bebop stuff and I was like, we're just going to do that the whole night. Cause usually you have some variety to your set, right? You do some waltzes and ballads and things. And after sure. reading the script, I was like, it seems like they mostly just care about playing fast. Yeah. So yeah, I think like a couple of producers came, filmed me and then showed Damien, who's the director. And then they're like, yeah, Damien wants to go with you. Oh, and yeah. um they sent me basically my role was they sent me like 20 pieces to learn verbatim <laughs> that were in cues already recorded for the film and i had to play it exact so that if they cut to the hands um it would look realistic but Which they, it does. yeah yeah i was on set 15 days but then they only used me for the caravan scene which oh. is the last scene so i learned a lot more music than i ended up really having to do but the caravan tune was the most substantial thing to transcribe because i had to memorize it because there's no music on the stand in the scene he just <laughs> yeah miles just kind of launches into it i mean it's the apex of the movie it's like the moment yeah yeah and i had a i had like a monitor i kept I was like, can we get any louder? Cause there's a full big band on the stage and I have to play to the, to the studio recording, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. there's loud big band hits and stuff. And so we recorded two takes of it. One from 
kind of the sides so you could you could see like my torso and my hands mm-hmm. and then one from above the kit an aerial view so when you see miles a lot of times they shoot him from the head up and then they'll cut to the hands or or looking down or on the side mm-hmm. and those are those are when i'm playing you know mm-hmm. but it was a cool thing to be a part of damien was super cool the director it was like his first big thing he was directing and it seemed like he was sleeping like three hours a night but just happy all the time super cool and he let me hang out and watch a bunch of scenes because i was on set kind of bored most of the time uh, yep <laughs> yeah so i would i would go and go to set and sit in one of those director chairs and just watch stuff go down because it's totally foreign to me and he was totally cool with that you know so it was it was fun to be a fly on the wall for the film did you give any tips to to miles uh during the the whole thing um i think miles had you know like prepped he played i know miles played in high school and had some lessons leading up to the film and think by the time i was on set he had you know he had more to think about than asking me about how, how to <laughs> yeah exactly hold the sticks or whatever is the but, fulcrum here oh yeah exactly <laughs> yeah but he was uh he was super cool too and a funny dude yeah no that the thing i'll say about the movie the thing i like the most is is uh yeah how authentic it was as a drummer you know obviously the first thing you hate about drum movies is like or any music video, it's like, can you just not have the drummer hit the snare on one and three? It's the most basic thing for an audio for a video editor <laughs> to look at. But um, that's sick, dude. That's that's awesome. We we've had um, Guy Licata who helped Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, and he actually was oh, his cool. teacher. Um, and Riz was a rapper, and so obviously rhythmically was very talented and, and intuitive, but had no idea how to drum. So that whole process was really fun to learn about how he, you know got to look so good as a drummer on on camera but let's just go into your top five and so yeah the first one is well the album is drawing the circle and the release year is 1998 and the artist is terry is it bozio or bozio what do you say um i think it's bozio i think so too. i might have said i might have said it wrong for years and then corrected myself at one point so i don't remember yeah. All right. Well, Terry Terry Bozio for today, and the song mm-hmm. is Maya. Of course, the drummer is Terry Bozio. So I'm just gonna play a little bit of it, and then we can talk about why that song means so much to you.
I mean, speaking of James asking you about an interface, I can't imagine how many inputs they need for the Terry's kit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so how old were you when this came into your life? I mean, yeah, just okay. tell me how, what it means to you. So I was living in Virginia, and my I had got a drum teacher, I think, okay, that came out in 98. I was probably either in eighth grade or a freshman in high school. And my teacher is like, I got these tickets to this drum clinic. He handed me this little ticket and had Terry Bozio with like a ponytail. I was like, what is a clinic? I don't understand. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I thought it was a medical thing. And then I'm like, <laughs> this dude, like, just looks weird. He's got a ponytail, mm -hmm. confused, <laughs> show up. And he's got a 40 piece drum set. And it's me and my drum teacher. Brian Pent Pentony is his name. He's an amazing um, rudimental drummer, was head of the Fife and Drum Corps for the Army. Mm. So, like, crazy snare drum technique guy. Anyway, so we're front row, and Terry comes out and just plays for, like, two hours or something. Doesn't say a word. And he's just playing all these melodies. He had his drums tuned to the chromatic scale. So he was, like, walking bass lines with the left hand buzzing on the toms and then swinging with the right hand in the in the in both his feet because he'd have like a snare pedal hooked up and stuff like that you know and as a 12 or 13 year old kid who didn't ever like i liked playing drums but when i listened to music i didn't really focus on the drums at all i was more like listening to the whole thing yeah and to see a drummer come out and and that's the show and that completely changed everything for me. Like I started writing all my own. It w after that, even, even before that, I wasn't really like listening to songs and trying to figure out what the drums were. They're like, I want to learn this song or that this or that. It was just playing drums. Then I saw Terry, Terry and I'm like, Oh, I need to write out my own parts and, and compose. Mm -hmm. myself and that's what's cool it's like transcribing other people isn't cool like i gotta make my own drum songs so i started i had like and there's stuff with the symbols the pitches of the symbols i had like eight symbols and stuff it's funny like <laughs> Jeez, yeah uh i got i looked up the exact double bass pedal that he had from dw and ordered it and the whole thing with the ostinatos i started practicing soloing over foot ostinatos and like on this track that's not the standard ostinato he's playing there you know mm -hmm. yeah nothing standard about that yeah <laughs> yeah so um that was definitely a huge um huge for me at the time and, and I, I later ran into him at nam and told him that you know that changed the course of my life. And he's like, Oh, thanks man. Like, so it's cool to meet him years, all those years later. Yeah. It's crazy how drummers, we kind of come full circle where like you start by like, just liking music as a kid, not knowing what drums are. And then you obsess over the drums. And then as you get more into the session world and songs, you try and focus less on the drums specifically and think of the song as a whole, you come back to it. But that journey in the middle is obviously insanely important. Um, 
And so even if someone doesn't love Terry and thinks it's too over everyone's head, it's like it got you to where you are today, which is a very tasteful drummer. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. I would not have assumed, you know, like I didn't know if how, how do I word this? Um, that's it's it's a really unique thing for you to put in your top five. I think that's awesome. So, yeah, they're all the the things I picked for the top five. I really had to, like, think back because. Like I said, I, I all the bands I liked, I half of them I didn't know who the drummer was. I didn't care that much. I was just the the sum of all the members is what I was into. Absolutely. Um, so it was really interesting to have to go back in time and think about that and think about stuff that I haven't listened to since. Like mm-hmm. that CD I got at the at that clinic, and it's not even on it's not on Spotify or any, or any of those. And that was the only song that I could find on YouTube. So I don't know if he just never got it on the streaming stuff, but I mean, yeah, it says Terry Bozio drawing the circle, new music for solo drum set. And it's a really looks like an, uh, yeah, a very Picasso esque cover with a big circle on it and a whole bunch of drawings. It's really cool. Obviously it's really yeah. artsy. So, um, all right. Mm-hmm. So let's just go to number two and that is, Physical Graffiti came out in 1975. It's Led Zeppelin, of course, and the song is the Wonton song. It's Bonzo on drums. And yeah, let's just play a little bit of it, and then we'll see why you like it. Because, you know, no one knows why anyone would like Bonzo. But uh, (laughs) here we go. snare because it's little solo there oh yeah ping right there that's Dip boom, dip boom, dip boom. Such a lot yeah. of Bonoisms there. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So that track actually made me, for whatever reason, everything else I was listening to at the time, nothing grabbed me like that track and and fills that John Bonham did. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, oh, what's like? I kind of leaned in, like, what what is that there? Like, that's there's a double in the kick or what? Yeah. So I specifically asked my there's probably like five tunes that i asked my drum teacher about and this was one of them and i learned that you know there's one fill like that and then he does these doubles later and then there's a fill where he's like you know kind of does a little skip on the snare and then i i remember going to percussion ensemble in high school and um showing everybody the wonton song beat and everybody like oh let me try it you know there's like 10 kids like yeah let me let me try it let me try it and everybody's trying <laughs> to do that fill yeah and yeah bottom like i have i have three cnc kits and one of them the first one that they made me is modeled after a 70s bottom kit you know 24 inch mm-hmm. kick and the maple poplar maple thing 
Yeah. Um, what's what's the rap on it? It's just matte, light blue. Oh, okay, I've seen the, you play that one. Yeah. 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 It. He just. And another song on that album, Physical Graffiti, um, Down by the Seaside. Mm. He's doing a shuffle and the spacing between his. It's not an exact, like, you know, doesn't line up perfectly if you were to lay it out on a triplet grid. Mm-hmm. He's got a little bit of a fatter spacing on it, especially when he does his the breaks and the way mm. he comes back in with the snare. He's just got a great feel that I've always liked and obviously so much power you know well let's just play a little bit of uh down by the seaside yeah i know what you mean yeah it's not an exact look at the archive but someone brought this song on as the definition of their ideal snare sound Mm. loosen up it still has the snap i mean it sounds great yeah just that yeah yeah that was a cool film it's just the definition of feel yep it's not really quantifiable by uh a grid and they're all those breaks, you know, they're they're nailing together and they're feeling it together. And I didn't really know much about feel at the time, but he was one of the only people who kind of came through the music to me it, with all the different acts I was listening to at the time. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you say that when your parents finally moved into a house, uh, that you were able to set your drum set up and you just wanted to play with people. What were you guys playing back then? Like when you could finally play with your friends, what was this? What was the stuff you were playing? Um, I had a buddy who knew every Rage Against the Machine riff. Nice. So we did a lot of that, and we started a band called Zero Hour. <laughs> Hell yeah! And it was like metal, rage metal. I basically went right into being like having bands, you know. Mm-hmm had different metal bands in in high high school and a lot of double bass was really in the double bass and metal um and i was writing guitar riffs and writing all the lyrics and stuff with those songs so mostly heavier stuff metal okay all right so number three the album is stabbing the drama came out in 2005 the artist is soil work and the song is Blind Eye Halo. And the the drummer is Dick Verburen. Verburen? Dirk. Dirk Verburen. Is that how you pronounce his name? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. He's Swedish. They're a Swedish band, but. I mean, Dirk Verburen. What a name. So hats yeah. off to him for being born with that name. But here is the song, and then we will talk about why it means a lot to you. Here we, here we go. 
That was a cool film. Mm-hmm. Everything's cool. <laughs> Congratulations, you found yourself. Been preaching too many times to her hysterical mind. So watch you fucking behave yourself. We're going there. We don't despair. So you save yourself. Yeah, very different yes. choices, man. This is awesome. <laughs> so that one. Well, that is that one nerve or stabbing the drama? Which one is that? That one stabbing Tune. the drama. Yeah, there's also one called Blind Eye, Blind Eye Halo, where he does the more like punk, blast beaty stuff. Everything, the whole album's was like my favorite metal album, and I think a lot of the stuff that me and my friends were doing were based on that. Them and Killswitch Engage were kind of our ones for us, you know. So when are we going to hear a, a Kyle Crane uh, <laughs> heavy metal project? Man, I recorded a bunch of that stuff um, in college, and uh, I didn't realize that you needed to have your, you know, save your own stuff on a hard drive. And, like, the engineer ended up going to jail or something. And I, <laughs> Oh, of course. <laughs> I lost half the session. It's very metal, right? Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, actually checks out. Yeah, so I have, you know, I have half that stuff on a hard drive somewhere, and it'd be fun. I've thought about finish. The only thing that's not on it is the vocals, and I thought yeah. about doing some just funny metal vocals on it just to finish it. Sure, but uh, other like actual meaningful music is take taken priority. But but yeah, maybe I'll get to it at some point. Even if you put it under like a pseudonym or something, just to like have the have the you know the closure of those sessions. Yeah, I mean, I definitely put a lot of work in it, into it at the time, and so all double. I haven't really played much double bass since, so it was definitely a. I thought maybe Black Mold would be a good band metal band name. Black Mold, yeah. <laughs> I had an old bandmate who uh, he had a band in high school that was like a hardcore band called Bloodball. But <laughs> all right, so number four, and it's the album The Gathering from 2002, and the artist is Caribbean Jazz Project, and the song is, oh my God, Masca Tendiado in the, gro- in the Grove, and the drummer is mm-hmm. Daphnis Prieto. Uh, mm-hmm. Did I totally butcher the name of that song? That's probably as white as you could say it, <laughs> yeah. but it probably sounds cool to people who. <laughs> speak spanish because like wow that guy's got a cool white guy accent yeah i'll wear that badge all right so here is the song
so I thought I knew. Go ahead, yeah. Do you, were you going to say you thought you knew where one was? <laughs> yeah, I was four times. I was like, oh, this is it. I got this. And no. So imagine, yeah, imagine seeing this live. I was like, I had no idea what's going on and I love it. <laughs> yeah. It was just, and that guy Daphnis is an absolute maniac. He's, he's playing clave with like either his foot or his left hand and just going wild with, with all the other limbs, you know? Mm-hmm. So I started practicing left foot clave and all that stuff at Berkeley and never applied it to anything, but it was fun. <laughs> you will one day add some clave to, to the, uh, the heavy metal project. Yeah. Were you influenced to crazy music that you'd never heard of prior to Berkeley? I mean, is, is this, was this given to you by a classmate? Like what, how'd you find this? Uh, they were playing at the Berkeley performance center. Oh, okay. And then I, um, when it came, so Dave Samuels, uh, who he's recently passed away, but he was the uh, vibraphonist, and this was his project. Mm. So then I, I um, played in his ensemble at Berkeley, and his charts weren't as crazy as as this record, but he had a lot of cool. Being that he was a drummer and can hop behind the set and tear it up as well, like. It was great to have him as a, as an ensemble teacher, mm-hmm. but I had never seen that heavy Afro-Cuban in my life live, you know, and I've heard salsa music in passing, but to see it go down like that. And, and I don't know how they didn't have a ton of dudes on stage. It might've been Daphnis and one other guy on wow. hand percussion or, or just Daphnis. I forget, but it was, it was wild how much, sound is coming out of their group i think what was excited me about his playing was that he was holding down that clave and then can do anything he wanted with the rest of his limbs mm-hmm. i was like man i wonder what it would take to to get to that sort of freedom you know i guess people do that to a certain extent with their just playing quarter notes or eighth notes on a ride, right? But yeah, it's a whole other level when you have this two-bar asinanato going on, and and he was doing a lot of triplets over it, like five-note groupings in the space. Of, you know what I mean? Like he said, he was going really far with it. With you working as much as you do, I'm sure a lot of your spare time is is learning songs and perfecting parts you're going to record and whatnot. But do you? knowing that for you it's not just a hobby it's something you actually have to then functionally be able to put into make money do you what do you do if you have an hour and you don't have to learn a specific song how do you how do you prioritize what to work on um i sort of stopped practicing like years ago um because my building got sold to become the soho house downtown or like where I used to practice and then I went on the road and then I just never really had a spot. So with the the exception of if I have a tour and we haven't had a band rehearsal, I'll go to a friend's or something. And or now I have a cabin, so I'll go out there, but I'll just go a place where I could be there for a day or two and I'll just run through all the music. But, um, I'm not drawn to practicing anymore. I kind of did so much yeah. of it. Not that I can't 
there's not a lot to learn but when i'm not playing shows i'd rather be writing music or snowboarding or something you know that's that's a great answer <laughs> i know there's gonna be some people that are so frustrated listening to this with an answer like that but that's awesome man i'm happy that you yeah time away from the drum set man is so important 100 percent. yeah i mean i definitely try things on gigs and i have a lot of gigs like tonight i'll, I'll try a bunch of stuff and i you know there's not much at stake if i fail at something because i'm playing in a whiskey bar you know yeah. so i, I kind of use you know you trading ace or taking a chorus you know i could try things in that setting mm -hmm. and that kind of became my practice is just doing a bunch of random local gigs and things you know yeah well, I mean, the reason why people should practice is because if there's something that you want to creatively execute and you can't do that, then yeah, work on stuff. But if you feel you're in a good spot with what you want to say, with your language of whatever your body is, then yeah, then just work on other shit. <laughs> yeah, I just started getting more into to songwriting and mm -hmm. and um, and also I realized that I had been playing with so many. Uh, you know, like Nico Case and M. Ward and all, and the stuff that I had been doing for years, I wanted, I'm not going to shove a plop, left foot clave into a <laughs> yeah. Nico Case song or like a Rufus Wainwright tune, you know, like, yeah. Um, beyond just learning their music and, and how the vocals, where all the vocals are, so I'm not stepping on anything. There's only so much you could practice beyond just making trying to make it feel good mm -hmm. you know nothing i don't really do anything crazy technical within these um with these groups that i tour with you know no i just i that's what i love about this podcast i've met so many drummers of all exceptional level and i definitely include you in that that just the way they approach it um mentally emotionally and physically are all so different and it's so it makes me feel better about you know, just being, uh, you know, taking a self inventory on what makes you happy behind the instrument, what makes you exceed and excited. Cause obviously staying excited about music is a very precious thing that as we get older, we need to hold on to that like <laughs> for dear life. Um, and so, yeah, if that you found something that works for you and that's, that's awesome, man, obviously it's working Thank for you. you. All right. So number five, last one. This is the album's The Next Step, and the release year was 2001. The artist is Kurt Rosenwinkel, and the song is Chivago. The drummer is Jeff Ballard, so here we go. Takes a while for the drums come in, but they're coming. <laughs> okay, I trust you. Check out burning these. This brushwork is.
so cool. Seamless transition to sticks. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> wow, that's really beautiful. Yeah, so I was listening to Kurt Rosenwinkel a lot at Berkeley because... I had two guitar player roommates mm. and uh, everybody idolized Kurt. And um, yeah, the Jeff, it was usually Jeff Ballard or I think he might've had Jorge Rossi or, but yeah, Jeff, Jeff, I had also watched a lot of videos with him with Brad Meldow mm. and Chick, Chick Corea. And he's just one of those light as a feather, fluid drummers that can do anything and the time doesn't get disrupted in any way. Mm-hmm. Like all that crazy stuff he's playing on the brushes in that intro, it's just not pulling back the time at all. It's just, so yeah, just listening to Kurt's records and I've never gotten listened to a ton of jazz records, but there's something about Kurt's music that, um, had one foot in something modern that I liked, you know? Mm-hmm. How do you consider your brushwork? Uh, it's all right. I mean, for that, that intro, for example, he's doing a lot of stuff. I just don't know how he's doing it. Yeah. Just, just some of those little flurries he does, you know, I would say my, my brushwork is like lim- more limited than that, but, um, yeah, I think that was the first time I ever heard like a blushda style thing on a <laughs> brushes. But yeah, yeah. You know, I, just like you said, it's not distracting. Because I mean, if you have great time, you can kind of do whatever you want and it doesn't feel weird, you know? Yeah, I think that's the thing. I If I know that if I try and do something like that, it's going to disrupt any of the time. I just don't even go there. Yeah. So it in, my brush playing ends up sounding working within certain parameters, <laughs> you know? So I'm with like, the yeah, the could... clave on the feet, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, well, that is your top five, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I might cut this out, but I do want to... I always see you posting about your cabin. So, I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> one of these days, I've, like, almost wanted to have, like, a weekend off, and I'm like, I kind of just, like, want to respond to one of your things, like, hey, I have a weekend free or whatever. But so is that just that's a cabin you bought north of LA that you just rent out or what's what's the deal with that? Yeah. Well, I got that like three years ago before the pandemic, so it was actually good timing. Yeah. Um, and that was just, you know, I've been touring since I was nineteen, so I was like, Oh well, I don't really want to have my you know, my savings in the stock market and anything like that. And there's affordable houses that it's an hour and a half from LA and mm. I had enough for a down payment. So I got that spot and, um, yeah, I've done some recording there. Um, 
Chris Taylor from Grizzly Bear brought his Neve console. Oh, wow. And we made a post during the pandemic. If anybody needs drums, I'll do the drums. Chris will record it. And we had like eight different artists, somebody from Brazil, somebody from Belgium. It was, it was pretty cool because everybody has sent this, these tracks and I did drums on them. And um, it was a really nice sound in there because you have the high ceilings. If you want to want the verb, you know, yeah. or you could use the close mics. And there's a downstairs room with low ceilings as well. Um, Cause it's a big a frame house from the pictures I've seen. It's like, yeah, really cool cabin. Yeah. Thanks. And I've seen other people. It's funny cause the last couple years, my, my face wasn't on the host as the host for the cabin. I had somebody else running it for me. Mm. So I would see somebody posted like in studio footage of them recording their album. I was like, dude, that's my place. <laughs> you were at my you recorded your album at my place they're like no way that's so it. um i think i'm gonna i've been airbnb it but i think i'm gonna put a piano in there and some i think i want to make it more of a creative space for people that i know personally to go rent out mm-hmm. you know for like half the cost of the la studio but you get a place to stay and there's a piano mic'd up and stuff like that. I think I'd be more into that than random people off Airbnb. Yeah. Not from the pictures. It looks really, uh, it just inspiring that whole area. So I think that's a great idea, but, um, well, I'll, I'll let you go, but I do want to give you a little bit of chance to do some self promotion. So who are you working with right now? Um, it looks like you've been playing a lot. So what's, what's something you want people that, uh, yeah, to check out. Um, well, I have, I'll be getting the vinyl back from my next record in June. Hell yeah. So I'll probably be releasing that by the end of the summer. So yeah, that's just Crane Like the Bird, four words, Crane Like the Bird. Um, it'll be on all the streaming sites. That's my main thing. And then I'm been touring a lot with the artist named Madison Cunningham. Mm. Um, so we're, we're actually on like a, three-day break in between a tour right now and then we're gonna go most of the summer we'll be playing so she's really fun to play with and also like there's i get a lot of opportunity in her music to do some interesting things Mm -hmm. you know which is fun that's the main thing i'm doing really till the end of the year is, is playing with her and just local gigs in town you know yeah, the Thirsty Crow was actually, I mean, God, this is like maybe 2012, but when I was living up in Seattle, which is where I'm from, I've lived in LA for the last six years now, but Silver Lake Lounge was the first show I'd ever played in LA on, oh, nice. on, on a yeah. tour, and so of course, right afterwards, we went right over to Thirsty Crow, and um, that that bar has a special place in my heart for that reason. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, well, I'll let you go, dude. And uh, again, this was great to finally talk to you because I've been following you for a while and following your career. Uh, again, well, love your love your drumming, man. It's so uh, really inspiring. So thanks so much. This is this is cool. I don't I don't do this often. So yeah, well, it meant a lot that you it's said fun. yes, dude. So um, nice talking to you, and I will talk to you soon, dude. All right, thanks, Ben. All right, cheers, man. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. 
It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye!